Bob Shields. Hello. And myself, Regina Connolly. I am always with me. Um, <laughs> and today's movie is the shockingly recent 2008 Sleepwalking. And let's dive in with a one sound review. Uh, uh. Ugh. Ugh. No, 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 no. <laughs> More like sleep watching. Yesterday morning. <laughs> oh, guys, don't worry. The film also made blatant use of its own title to sort of walk you through what it just plotted and through. Spoilers: my ranking plummeted in that moment <laughs> at the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. This movie was a movie where it was sort of like you know in cartoons where like someone falls off a cliff and you think they're done falling, and then like the branch breaks and then they fall off a cliff more, uh-huh. and then they're in the water and then they go for a waterfall. That was my experience of watching this movie. It started <laughs> off and I was like. Charlize Theron is sort of reprising her role in North Country and uh, Dark Places. Dark Places and to some extent Monster. Yeah, I was thinking that. But she's in West Country now instead of North Country. (laughs) Where was this set? California and Utah. Utah. Which I only found out from reading. They started in Utah or is that where the farm was? That's where the farm is. Oh. More importantly. California has North Country. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, I think I, so. Sorry to show my it's, ignorance. It's a long state. It's a very <laughs> big state. I was like guessing West Virginia. That's sort of the feel that they give yeah, you. Yeah, it feels very middle American. Yeah. It, also, when is this set? Yes, I don't know. Did you notice that the flags were at half mast? Did you notice that I not didn't. a single person had a cell phone? Well, good point. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, so I rarely read the reviews of movies before we talk about it, because uh-huh. I want to come in fresh-faced yes. with my own dumb ideas. But I was like, I need to see what other people thought about this dumb, dumb movie. Spoilers. <laughs> I think this movie is dumb. And I read the New York Times uh, review of it, and it was riddled with errors. And I was like, this guy, obviously, did, he, he did not enough. watch it, and he read the wrong press packet. <laughs> he got the girl's age wrong. He got the guy's occupation wrong. He was like, oh, he worked on a road crew. And I was like, he was obviously building playgrounds that's not the same as a road crew. i also thought it was a road crew in the first scene yeah and then because i bet he was awake for the first scene and then when they were building the playground (laughs) he was at the top of the cliff they have construction equipment and they're on a road right therefore yeah i 100 thought it was a road crew so i mean i i know that eventually it wasn't but i understand why he made that mistake but also he says that she's 11 and i'm like she very obviously says i want to pretend to be 13 because being 12 sucks so she says her age definitively yeah yeah. And he's like, eh, 11. <laughs> so, plot such, such as it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Bob Shields, you did the plot summary. You haven't done it in a while. Okay, so the plot as it is, Charlie starts off uh, getting evicted from her house, or has already been evicted from her house, very angrily. She is one of these uh, 
unreasonably impatient and angry people, mm. defying the police officer's help and accosting her brother into staying with, with him. Uh, her and her daughter, who is, at this point in time, a paper-thin, smart-arse brat. Yes. Uh, who gives her no respect and whatever. Um, her brother, played by Nick Stahl, who I 100% thought was dead. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> because he went missing five years ago. I don't know if you remember this. Or no. This is more interesting than the movie was. Yeah, do so, tell. Like, uh, several years ago, he went missing, and, like, he has drug problems. Aww. And so it was like, oh, he, Nick Stahl's dead. And then he turned up and went to rehab, and he's still alive. But I <laughs> missed the end part of that story. <laughs> oh, so I, I wrote it was going to be more of a hijinksy kind of disappearance, not a no. sad life. <laughs> yeah. I wrote sorry. in my notes, Nick Stahl, R.I.P., and then later I was looking him up on Wikipedia to see how old he is, or was, and then I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Nick Stahl is still young enough to appear in the Lifetime movie about himself. What? I mean, he could still appear. Oh, in that's not a real thing. No. Okay. <laughs> he could still do it, and it would be interesting. <laughs> anyway, so they move in with her brother, who is played by Nick Stahl. Charlize <laughs> goes through periods of, uh, a period of misery about being there, and then in the next scene is happy and bubbly and going out with the truck driver. Uh, and it's all, and even he is shocked about like, Jesus Christ, what kind of life are you living here? Yeah. Uh, and then she disappears randomly, just ups and vanishes. Don't worry, we get no insight as to why she does this, because this movie is all about Nick Stahl's feelings. It is. It does make play that it's going to be about the little girl. I thought it was going to be like, oh, her perspective on, uh, you know, her parental fuck-ups, basically. Mm -hmm. But... So no. <laughs> it's not. Charlie disappears and Nick Stahl doesn't know what to do because he is uh, also, a f he's an uncle fuck up and uh, he doesn't know how to make her go to school, doesn't know how to drive, can't do anything basically, can't even show up to work. The little girl gets taken away by protective services. In for like two days. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, after what seems like two days uh, of Which, missing school. I don't, uh, who knows how they do things in California, but I feel like protective services because the kids has not been showing up at school I think, is yeah. a little extreme. I, they're probably more aware of the circumstances that okay. the movie makes us aware. Like, I think that it's been an ongoing thing. I think it's because the mother has disappeared and he doesn't have any actual parental rights. Correct. Okay, that makes more and sense. And also, I should say, the reason that they were evicted is because uh, Charlize's boyfriend was growing pot in his backyard. Yes. So they've been kicked out of the house because it's a crime scene. Right. And so she can't get all of her stuff from it. Correct, yes. So that's that's why the police were involved in uh, in the eviction. And so maybe the reason the parental ser or child protective services were already alerted to the possibility mm. is because they were looking to take Tara Reedy away. Absolutely. So... Then, after that, Nick Stahl goes to see her in the foster home. Then she convinces him to run away and just abandon their life. And, and so he's they like, do. good idea. And he's he like, accepts right. it really easily. He's, yes. lost, he's lost his job and he's living on a deflated air mattress in Woody Harrelson's basement. So I was shocked when Woody Harrelson showed up. Yep. Woody Harrelson has been in three movies with Charlize Theron all within a three-year period. Are they like stoner pals? I don't like maybe. I yeah. had I was like, what's going on? Because two of them she produced this in Battle in Seattle, mm -hmm. yep. and so I was like, huh? Like, <laughs> does she just call up her buddy Woody and be like, come be in the shit movie with me? Yeah. I don't know. Also, guys, I feel like we've talked about this before. I don't understand people's affection for Woody Harrelson. We talked about this at length. <laughs> okay, because he's been. Let's talk about these three movies for a second. Let's pause on the Charlize discussion. Let's return to Woody Harrelson. The 
fuck is he doing in these movies? I don't know. It's exactly know. the same. He's just like, oh, I've got a sort of smushed up face and I'm talking about drinking <laughs> beers and being sexist. So like, were these movies during the financial crash? Was this a way <laughs> to cash it, like to get paid just to do enough? <laughs> Was this before people decided that they liked Woody Harrelson again? I don't have answers to those questions. I want to know what the common people's opinion of Woody Harrelson is. What is the cultural touchstone that he's providing for them? I feel I feel like we're on to something here. I think Woody Harrelson and Charlie Theron are running like an Adam Sandler-esque scam where they produce <laughs> shit movies and pay themselves for it. And that's how they finance their good movie. I just choose to believe that they're friends instead. <laughs> it's hard to stay on topic because there's not much movie. No, here. but anyway. Uh, but actually, the other thing I wanted to say about Winnie Harrelson is: Are there any other actors she's appeared in three films with? Uh, she's got two with Keanu, two with Francis McDormand. Oh yeah, two with Rada Trevejia. Oh, oh yeah, bless blessings. I don't know. That's it. Maybe she has conspiratorial deals with all these people, but Woody Harrelson just was too frequent, and now we're <laughs> on to them. <laughs> they got careless. Anyway, Woody Harrelson, America. What? <laughs> I like him. I like him. Too. I'm going to defend him. I like him. I don't dislike him, but I'm sort of like, but people seem to really like him. Yeah, I really like him. Yeah, he, don't get it. He has a compelling everyman quality. I agree. Mm, disagree. But here's the thing. If I can learn to love Jeremy Renner, maybe I can also learn to love what he heard. If a Terminator can learn the value of human life. <laughs> <laughs> of Woody Harrelson's film career. I know now why you draw. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's collect ourselves to return to the, All right, to the thread. Let's return to this very depressing movie. Where we left off with them running away. Running away. So they run away. Can I just say one thing? Yep. <laughs> so this We're being derailed again. <laughs> no, this is, on, this is on topic. So I'm sticking with my cliff falling metaphor, but imagine if as they're falling down the cliff, it suddenly jumps climates and you're like, wait, why is it in a rainforest? Because it goes from being this bleak, like, oh, it's really hard when you don't have money and the police are after you, to, I'll say it, a weird romantic comedy vibe, like road trip between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, they run away together. Charlie's has sent them money. Somehow. I missed that. Uh, yeah, it was we, in the letter. It never, fell out. You never, oh. I don't think you see it. They just suddenly have it. But um, anyway. He sold all of his possessions because he was getting evicted. So yes. he sells his couches. And so he, he has like a little bundle of like 300 bucks for them to run away with. Yeah. He looks like his apartment looks like the part in The Simpsons when Homer visits Mo at home. <laughs> and and Mo is like, please don't tell people how I live. <laughs> like, it's that sad. Don't cry for me. I'm already dead. <laughs> right. So anyway, so they're on the road now. They're traveling. At one point, they get Christmas ornaments from a lady at a roadside stall and go running through a greenhouse. Again, uh, as if they're young loves. So yeah, so this this is this is the section of the movie that I uh, have been referring to as the Sofia Coppola section, where it becomes is like boppy electronic music and whimsical running through things while there's pollen in the air. Oh, they it was I think explosions in the sky or at least someone ripping off explosions in yep, the sky. It was something like that. Then they're at a motel which is freezing cold and snowy on the outside but tropical and warm on the inside and has a pool and I a hot it, tub and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and she is lounging with cigarettes which you never see before or after this point in a pink fluffy outfit and she roller skates around the pool while and being And pink sunglasses which looked really nice and I don't understand how they afforded them. The movie or the, the, the people? characters. <laughs> <laughs> this is a low budget movie. Yeah. But uh, so she's being watched by boys from a hot tub as she skates around and then she dives into the pool fully clothed with her roller skates on, you know, 
because whimsical reasons. I gotta talk about this scene before we <laughs> go to Please do. So before this scene happens, they're like outside. We see a man in a wheelchair struggling to pick something up. And Speedy, the brother, because he's a good man, is like, I'll help you with that. And then... Uh, and then it cuts very abruptly. Like, he's like, do you need a hand? And then all of a sudden we're in this, like, 60s stylized and colored indoor pool section where, like, the diving board has, like, white daisies on it. And she's wearing this, like, pink outfit, pink sunglasses. And Bob and I actually were like, did we just miss something? Like, it yeah. cuts so abruptly and, like, looks so different that you're like, what is happening? And then Speedy comes over and is like, oh, hey, that guy's going to give me some money to do some stuff. Can you just, like, hang out here? And she's like, yeah, no problem. And then again, like, she becomes this, like, weird sexualized image of her, like, Definitely sexualized. It was gross. The only thing that I'll give it in terms of, like, how she was sexualized is that there are these two silent boys in the hot tub who are younger than her. So at least it's not old men perving on her. But they're just, like, watching her. And I think it's her first instance of, like, oh, like, I have power over these dudes. And she's, like, skating around and smoking, being like, I'm a badass. And then she, like, gets up onto the the diving board and stops, like, right at the edge, like, I'm in control or something. And then goes into it. And then jumps in, like Bob said, and sort of is, like, is underwater. As if it's, like, I thought this felt like Lolita and the Graduate mixed together, but very, like, poor man's version. And then they do leave the motel, and she leaves the roller skates behind. And you see these hungry, silent men-child, like, run over and pick them up like they're going to go masturbate to them later. Ew! (laughs) It was so bizarre. It was like she was leaving them this talisman of their like sexual awakening and I was like movie why are you doing this it what is me... the point of this it was so uncomfortable to watch them watch her it made me really nervous about the third act which oh, we yeah. will now transition to well I also <laughs> thought this whole section like when they're running around buying Christmas ornaments and like being cutesy together I was like is this gonna turn into an incest movie because earlier oh, in the movie Lord. when they first got to the apartment like James was just staring at her as they sat on the like seedy couches and she actually said like Uncle James you're creepy me out like stop looking at me and I was like I don't want this movie to go there and it doesn't it doesn't but that scene felt so alien and so like it was from another movie yeah. and the the tone shifts and we can talk also later about oh, yeah. the directing in this was just it's the director's only movie yeah not well. surprising anyway uh, that that scene was so weird it was so deeply weird and I don't know why we needed those little children to be like roller skates run away like little as weird as that scene was, that was one of the only times in this middle part of the movie without Charlize that I was engaged in what was happening. Yeah, because I was like, what the fuck is this? Right, exactly. Right. The rest of it is just boring bad. Right. Yes. Okay, so. So, third act time. New they, climate. They go to Charlize and Nick Stahl's dad's farm, despite it being known to be a haven of abuse. Yeah. Uh, Charlie said, like, I would never go back there. Like, that guy's got nothing to do with this. She I... said her, she told the cops her father's dead. She right. also said that her father beat the hell out of her. Even the little girl was like, my mom said she would never go back there in a million years. So they go there, of course, and it's Dennis Hopper playing the hitman from Dark Places <laughs> in a big puffy jacket and a cowboy hat. And he is unpleasant and violent. They say they're saying, hey, we, we thought we'd come on a vacation and come visit you. And he's like, all right, time to get to work. It's 5 a.m. Go pick up shit from horses. Literally. Uh, as things get progressively worse, 
he eventually starts uh, being physically abusive as well as emotionally abusive. I was terrified that he was going to be sexually abusive. Same. Yep, absolutely. Same. Which does not happen, fortunately. <laughs> I really thought it was going to go there. Uh, I really thought when he threatened uh, to expose them to the cops that he that's what he was going to go upstairs and then do. Yep. He does not. He just wanders awkwardly into his own room and then hesitates for a moment and closes the door. <laughs> After he becomes physically abusive, despite Nick Stahl being like, just put up with it, it's, you know, five minutes ago he was like, it's fine, we just work, it's fine. He then transitions into, I'll kill you, you son of a bitch! And then kills him stone dead with a shovel in a very fast turnaround. Then he tells the cops in his hometown that he did that, and then they drive home. Right, if you're going to turn yourself into the police for murdering someone... Call the local police. Yeah, several <laughs> states away. Right, like if I, if I murdered someone and I was like, better turn myself into the cops. Hello? Uh, Sacramento police? <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't work. So, But also, like, I don't know, I felt like he had sort of a decent case. It was like he was beating up a child. I don't know. I feel like there might be extenuating circumstances. It seemed like justifiable homicide to me. It seems like the kind of thing where a jury wouldn't convict him. Yeah. Right. It also, like, the young girl witnesses this. And then, like, has almost no other lines for the rest of the yeah, movie. Yeah, she's like, well, my character's usefulness as a motivating factor for Nick Stahl has ended, so goodbye. Right. Uh, so then they drive home, and... Uh... Right before the murder, Charlize appears again. Oh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. She does. She shows back up in the Not in their town. lives. No. Because she doesn't own... know where they left. Right. Yeah, she doesn't know they've gone, so she looks them in all the places that they're not anymore. Uh, and then kind of disappears for another... 10 minutes or so. Yeah. We don't know how long they're at. Any, we don't know how long any of this is happening. Right. We don't know anything that anyone does outside of Nick Stahl, Nick Stahl's gaze. Yes. He is the, the protagonist of this movie, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so on the way home, Nick Stahl, who has been dumb and inarticulate and unable to get out of bed in the morning uh, the whole time, suddenly becomes very articulate and poetic in order to deliver the titular line. Ugh. Uh, which is that he's now self-actualized and awake and hasn't previously in his life been dun-dun-duh, sleepwalking. I think we should put the titular line in here so people can hear how dumb it is. (laughs) For now. It's like I've been living in a dream. Bad dreams. Sleepwalking. We cut to the police station and all the cops are just kind of waiting around. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I, was, I was asking, like, what are they even doing? They're waiting are, to apprehend him. They're waiting. I know, I know they're waiting to apprehend him now, but at, at the time it looks like they're just sat around on It seems like they have a desk. pretty big sheriff's department for what seems to be a sleepy little burg in and also, Mystery Charlize, Town, California. Is, they're waiting to apprehend him. Charlize is waiting outside. And they're all waiting inside in the office, very unprepared. Uh, and then the little girl comes running over the verge of, uh, from the other side of the parking lot. And they hug. They and hug, are reunited. Reunite. And all the cops go, ah, oh, shit, he must be around here somewhere. And then they all scramble and try and catch him. But then he drives very slowly away in a pickup truck without a care in the world. He's like, I switched vehicles. They'll never find me. Right. <laughs> uh, and then the movie ends. And that's it. Don't forget that he told Tara, the daughter, to tell oh, Charlize yeah. 
this is the first day of the rest oh, of your life. Lord. And I felt very frustrated by that because, yeah, Child Protective Services is still going to take that kid away from her. She has no home, no job, and she abandoned her child for a month. I'm not saying she's going to lose her parental rights, but it's not like, great, she's going to go back to school after an indeterminate amount of time missing school and everything right. is okay Yeah. My notes about this movie are... This movie feels like it's the DVD extras of, like, the alternative side scene, side plot that got cut out of a movie that was about what Charlize was doing Ooh, that's somewhere an interesting else. theory. <laughs> and it's like, and then you're like, oh yeah, this whole movie, it's, it's kind of, when you watch the scenes and you're like, oh yeah, that should be on the cutting room floor. Like, that should have got cut out. Do you know this what? This whole movie is that. Do you know what movie I think it was? What? The Florida Project. Right. <laughs> that's, I was like, this makes me want to see that movie. Yeah. Which I had wanted to to see anyway but like this part of my difficulty with this movie is again like it's entirely about uh nick stall waking up from sleepwalking and it's like this movie has the potential to have a, a bigger story about how uh like abuse and trauma uh doesn't stop like immediately and that it has generational impact like and, dark places <clears throat> yeah and yeah. the fact that like when they're at the the farm and he's saying to Tara and he's like, look, you know, the problem was always between him and your mom. Like the two of them fought all the time. But like, if you're just quiet and you just do what he says, like he's the like peacekeeper in that dynamic. And he's like, you just, you just do the work and it's fine. You just, you just do what he's asking. And like, you can keep him happy kind of thing. And like, you can see where like that dynamic would have like built through the rest of his life and and that they like ran away together like the sister and brother and that like because he didn't have an education and his dad had kept him home and isolated that like it's not like he has a big network of people to look out for him uh or like a social safety network to protect him from the world and so like when he loses his job and he's evicted like he has nowhere else to go so i'm sort of like yeah like there's a movie about that but it just sort of ignores most of what's happening to everyone else, mm-hmm. and it's just about, like, him crying alone on a deflated air mattress. Like, we see him have an emotional reaction more than we see, like, Tara have an emotional reaction to any of the things that happened to her. Or Charlize, like, sh- like Charlize is there in the beginning, she says some stuff, and then she disappears. Yeah. And she comes back at the end. And it's just sort of, just very disappointing. The movie's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to say, though, that it was interesting to me how they couldn't, the characters couldn't agree if her name was Tara or Tara. Uh, <laughs> it reminded me of the first Star Wars movie where people keep calling her Princess Leia. <laughs> oh, yeah. Leia, Leia, Han, Han. Yes. Yeah. So, Roger Ebert did not review this. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good for you, Roger. Take, take your skips where you can get them. Yeah. <laughs> Would this movie be improved by a prison yes. riot? There's Great. actually a place where it could come in. So, I went, I, I missed this uh, out of my, my synopsis, but there was a point where they go looking for Charlize at some point. Uh, very ineffectively and they go and see the guy the boyfriend who is now in jail the guy who was growing the pot the guy who's growing the pot in who his may backyard be tara's dad no 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 so yeah so and she's like in order to wind him up i assumed it was to get him to talk yeah but she's like we used to she used to call you the name behind your back blah blah, blah when it was just us talking and then she leaves yeah and he's yelling why didn't she call me why didn't she call me and then never comes back yep never gets that information and I was like, I, I'm actually voting no on Prison Riot. Okay. I think there's enough misery porn in this already. <laughs> um, uh, and I was like, and the, the one scene in a prison, that's like a very thin reason for him to even raise his voice. 
I yeah. I would look. Mm. I just want something interesting to happen. Much of the way that the pool scene was terrible, but at least it got my attention. <laughs> That's how I feel about putting a prison Making, riot. It in It can there. be a stylized memory one. I'm gonna loosen the definition of prison riot, and I would like to see the girls in the orphanage uh, <laughs> like have a fucking shape. food fight or something. Yeah. Because then for five minutes we could actually experience Tara's perspective. Sounds good. Yeah. Like I think the only time the movie ever like lets you see what it's like for her is at the very beginning. She's outside the school talking to her friend. And her friend's like, like, what are you going to do? Like, because everyone knows that yeah. her mom's boyfriend got arrested. And she's like, I don't know. And I feel like that's the only moment where she's on screen by herself to, like, figure out her own life. Yeah. There's also a scene later where she's talking to Nick Stahl and she's, like, convincing him to run away. And she's like, they're talking about adoption. Maybe a family with other kids. I'd have my own room. I could close the door. And they have dogs. I don't even like dogs. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, not even a puppy could cheer this movie off. Like, it's just so bleak. I don't even like dogs. Okay, great. I don't know. I uh, could get all these good things. Pfft, let's run away. But I'd rather stay with my uncle that I barely know. Who, who can't do anything. Who, like, I guess, I guess she wants to stay with him because he'll do whatever she says. Yeah. yeah he's easy to convince. Um, this movie also has, like, a couple of weird moments. So, like, in addition to the Lolita scene, I feel like there are a couple of times where the director's like, hey, guys. I have a vision. Here <laughs> is a close-up of icy barbed wire. Ooh. And then there's a moment where she's in the parking garage, and it keeps doing, like, quick zooms on the front yes. of trucks that are, like, flashing lights. And I was like, are these animate trucks from Pee-wee's Big Adventure? Like, are they going to come for her? And she just keeps looking at them, and it's, like, scary music. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. The direction of this movie is ridiculous and all over the place it's not often like most movies are pretty slickly directed these days and yeah. you can give a lot of things the benefit of the doubt this i can't like it's terrible i also made a note that it seems like the cameras were mounted on like security camera mountings because it will occasionally like just pan and zoom very <laughs> unnaturally <laughs> It, and it seems like it's, like, remote controlled. It just, it's very strange. And the editing, like, a lot of the cuts to scenes, I'm like, like, there was a scene where it's, like, she's looking off into the distance, and then it cuts to them getting on the car, but she's on the other side of the screen, and it's very jarring, and you're like, what was she just looking at? Like, you just had her on the totally opposite side, like, nah, moving forward. Right. And I wrote multiple times in my notes with varying degrees of capital letters, what the hell is this music? What on earth is this music? What music is this? Because the soundtrack and like the key, it was so jarring and not in tone with whatever they were doing. It's like everyone was given a different script. Yeah. So guys, I need to draw attention to the Wikipedia plot summary oh, for good. this movie. Okay. Because it is the most artful Wikipedia plot <laughs> summary I've ever read, which treats this movie as something worth discussing. <laughs> the first sentence is, how does a 12-year-old girl brought up in such conditions find a better life? Question mark. <laughs> That's the first. And so I'm now thinking maybe the director wrote it. I was like, I think the PR uh, rep wrote it. <laughs> like it's, And then Tara has no choice but to trail along glumly as Jolene is reduced to begging her meek, ne'er-do-well younger brother, James, to take them in. He's not a ne'er-do-well. 
ne'er-do-well. I think he kind of is. See, for me, a (laughs) ne'er-do-well is like a scamp. He's just not effective at being an adult. Like, a ne'er-do-well is not someone who has failed to launch. A ne'er-do-well is someone who's like, I'm a casual rake and I don't follow the rules. I guess I was just sort of very literally interpreting it as (laughs) never-do-well. So I was like, yeah, that's this guy. I'm like, he's he's a failed adult more than he is scampy. So we should note, in order to give the maker, the filmmakers the benefit of the doubt, the filmmakers, the writer and the director of this movie are neither a writer nor a director Who are in they? their usual life. So the director is a guy called Bill Maher, not, not that, that Bill one. Maher. Yeah. A different guy who works on, who usually does visual effects. I kind of wish it were that Bill Maher so we yep. could have some concrete evidence other than <laughs> all the words that come out of his mouth that he's garbage. Right. Uh, so he is uh, usually does like special effects for like the X Men movies. Like he works on, huh. on like a he's a visual effects wrangler, right? He just <laughs> okay. he doesn't even he doesn't even do the art of special effects. He like organizes it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And the other the writer Zach Stanford uh, is usually a colorist in the editorial department in most of his movies. The color is terrible in this movie. Well, he didn't do the color in this movie. <laughs> he de- he wrote this movie. The, I also would like to point out that they've uh, the other guy, Bill Maher, uh, William Maher, as he goes by uh, in this credit. Uh, he at least has movies you will recognize in his okay. filmography. Uh, Zach Stanford's most recent four movies are Phobic, Mommy, I Didn't Do It. The Sector, and I'm 23, and there's a fucking monster under my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Which, when Barbara this last night was laughing so hard, she couldn't finish the sentence. I mean, that is is a sweet title. That is a great title for a movie. I now want to look that movie up. Right. It's like the Cannibal Women of the Amazon Death Jungle, or whatever it is, starring Bill Maher, I think. What? (laughs) I might be remembering this wrong. I have no idea any of the words that just happened. It's called Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle of Death, and it does have Bill Maher in it. Wait, talk show host Bill Maher? Yes. Oh, shit. Anyway. Anyway, so they are not normally a writer or a director, and it shows. Yeah, because the writing in this movie, like, a lot of the movie is soulful looks from Nick Stahl, who, like, look, it does some good soulful looks, but, like, Charlize Theron line in the beginning are very, like, I'm going to explicitly state what's happening, what you should be feeling, and what the exposition is. Like, they're all just very bizarre. Yeah, it has a very pretentious air about it, and it is poorly constructed. It really reminded me of the yards in that way. Same. I was like, wow, this is, uh, like, amateur... They thought they were doing a great thing. Exactly. And they they, are they thought they, they thought they were emulating Sofia Coppola in the middle there. Uh, and while Sofia Coppola pulls it off, this was very forced. So I have a Charlie, are we calling them Charlie's Naders? I don't know. <laughs> Serenaders. Serenaders, yeah. All right. This might be my Nader of the movie, besides the monsters in the hot tub looking at her. Anyway, uh, she is boning this truck driver who is in Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, Callum Keith Rennie. And it reminded me, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but Hello Taylor on Twitter, who's like a critic... She said, watching something recently, she was like, well, I still can identify Callum Keith Rennie from a thousand paces. And that was how I felt, because as soon as he appeared on the screen, I'm like, hey! (laughs) Well, they're necking on the kitchen table, and, like, he's about to stick it in, and she's like, wait! 
tell me you love me. We can just be kidding. Just pretend. It doesn't doesn't have to mean anything. I just need to hear it. And he's like, I love your ass. And she's like, no, like, say it right. And I was like, oh, movie, do you want me to get the idea that Charlize Theron is starved for love and affection? Like, yeah, I (laughs) got it. I didn't need her to explicitly state it to the man about to boink her. Like, it was so... So dumb. I was like, uh, that was close to Gringo when she was like in the car being like, hey guys, I'm a tough woman and this is why because my dad told me to be. <laughs> Daddy's blue ribbon girl. <laughs> do you have a Charlie Zenith though? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I do. What about I you have guys? one. Go. Right. Yep. So uh, early in the movie, she's talking, well, early because she's in it, uh, talking to Nick <laughs> Stahl and she says, how old do you think I look? And he says, I don't know. And she says, that is the wrong answer. And I wish that it had just stopped there. That would have been a brilliant exchange. Unfortunately, she goes on and she's like, the correct answer when a woman asks you how old she looks is the age that you think she wants to be. And I was like, this screenplay was written by a man. Yes. And then he says, "Uh, 25. And she's like... You think? Hot dog. Yeah, so maybe that, the, the beginning is my Charlie Zenith and the end is my Theranator. Fair, fair. Charlie Zenith Theranator. <laughs> very hard to say. Uh, my Charlie Zenith is when she goes into the house and she's like like asking the police if she can get into the house so she can get her stuff. And they don't want to let her in because it's a crime scene. Yeah. And she's like, no, no, give me my stuff. <laughs> and she's in there and she's like, where's my goddamn coffee can? I have my money in it. And the cop is like... Pretty girl, like, you can make money. And oh. I was like, cool, great, 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 great. She, like, gets some things, and she's leaving, and she's, like, stomping around in these, like, little kitten-heeled boots. It was very funny. I thought the boots were, they're the first shot of her, and yeah. I was like, this is good character building. And I'm glad that those were the only shoes she was in the whole time. Yeah. And she, like, wobbles in them. And then as she's, like, getting to the trunk, she goes, Nick, like, is anybody watching? And he's like, no. And so she pulls money out of a magazine. Obviously, like, she was illicit drug money, and she, like, shoves it in her boots. And then when she gets in the car, she just breaks into this, like, fuck you smile and she's so excited like I got one over on these people that think I'm dumb and as she's driving away she gives the middle finger to them and I was like I want to give the middle finger to this movie but that moment was that was my girl Charlie that's good same that's also my Charlie Zenith she has a very particular as she's giving the finger to the cops and driving away she has a very particular like smug kind of laugh that she breaks into and it's just it's note perfect and it is the most enjoyable three seconds of the movie fair enough Another uh, part of her performance that I really liked, and again, like, this is the costuming, is when she's, like, getting ready to go on her date, and she still, like, has her hair in this, like, high, like, white, spongy, like, ponytail that's not very fancy, but she's, like, fluffing her bangs around her face, and I was like, good effort making the most beautiful woman on earth (laughs) try to look like she's, like, a rough and tumble. That was also a good uh, 30-something going out shirt. And I say this is a 30-something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, she looks good. I was like, if if my boobs could tolerate that shirt, I would wear that. (laughs) Yeah, I was also, that was the other point where I was kind of like, come on, movie. (laughs) Like, you know who you've cast, right? So who should Keanu have played? I want to go first so that no one can ruin mine. I'm guessing this is going to be something weird and obscure, and I don't know why you're so worried about one of us taking yeah. it up. Because I thought that Bob Shields was going to bring up this moment earlier, and he didn't. So Speedy beats his father to death with a shovel. Yeah. Everyone's crying, and he's like, you're the worst dad. <laughs> and then there's an abrupt cut to six judgmental horses. <laughs> there's just these horses in a field, not in the barn where the murder took place, just looking at the camera like, man, am I right? Killing their own dads. One of them literally looks at the others to be like, what's up with him? Yeah. <laughs> They're sort of like, we just eat hay and we let them on our back, but these people are beasts. And I... <laughs> 
agrees to be in this movie, as has often happened in Charlie's <laughs> canon. So I just want him to be inside a horse suit being like, uh, whoa. <laughs> Oh, I was not ever going to spoil that. I thought so. you were going to bring up the judgmental horses because I wrote in my notes, judgmental horses. <laughs> and usually you don't watch me take notes. And you were like, judgmental horses. I was like, yeah, that deserves remark. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the movie is actually full of little moments like that. But uh, uh, my Keanu is Nick Stahl. Obviously, it should be Nick Stahl. And so the one thing is that it would have to be young Keanu, because I think it's important that it's her younger brother. Yeah. Yeah. I but can do that. Yes, I agree. I mean, mine is different. I Again, I sort of have the, I don't want Keanu saddled with this horrible movie yeah. reaction. So I just kind of want to uh, throw him into another one of the scenes, which I weirdly kind of enjoyed. When he's living in Woody Harrelson's basement. Where they play quarters? And they're playing quarters. It's I very much kind of was like, I, this scene real yeah right these people in their late 30s and 40s playing quarters is like this is pathetic but you seem happy good for you and i would throw him in the mix there yeah, yeah you know, one work. of the friends who laughs to the joke danny your fanny is uncanny yeah oh so danny's the woman yes yeah, yeah that is deb hugh jackman's wife oh wow yes <laughs> she was really I, I really liked her. Me too. And I also love that she showed up with her own bottle of white wine. <laughs> yes. I also liked her hair. Like, yeah. Again, like, the costuming. And, like, I really liked that Sheila was, like, into him. And he was like, can you leave now? Because <laughs> he didn't want someone to see him cry. Right. I was like, that scene was actually, yeah. like, I liked the quarter scene. Yeah. Sort of like, find your joy where you can. Exactly. Yep. Playground builders. It was so weird, though. I was like, I recognize this woman. And then it was like, oh, I recognize her from red carpets. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I would I would do Nick Stahl because um, firstly, uh, Nick Stahl is too dumb to sympathize with, and uh, Keanu Reeves does dumb, sympathetic, incredibly well. That is true. That's his wheelhouse. That is his wheelhouse. <laughs> One of his many. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> he does have range, but range. he can focus on this. <laughs> also, the the strange character break at the end when he becomes weirdly profound. When he can smile his, again. For his poetic de- delivery of the titular line. I'm like, th- if that was delivered by Ted Theodore Logan, <laughs> it would make sense. Because that's what that character does. Right. So that's what this movie needed. Okay. Cool. I was surprised by, I actually sort of like Nick Stahl's performance in it, and I liked the handling of the, like, like, people calling him speedy, obviously, because he's slow, but it was, like, it was unclear, like, yeah. it was not defined, like, what his slowness was, or whatever. I, I actually <laughs> thought he was, like, pretty good in I a thought terrible was, script. I agree. And Keanu would have been better. Yeah. I, I'll give you that. Keanu's always a good choice. <laughs> At one point watching this, you were like, are these people simpletons? Yes. Are we gonna see this from the perspective of the, the, the world being like these people are dumb drooling idiots well, the because re- there is a there is a zombie movie the name of which I can't it's escaping me but it's like a very low budget zombie movie and it's told from the perspective of the zombies who don't know that they're slow and lumbering and decaying huh. uh, and so whenever humans show up in that movie they move really fast and they can't follow what's going on oh that's cool uh, and I thought this movie was going to be like that where suddenly it was going to switch <laughs> perspectives and we were going to see oh these people are idiots <laughs> <laughs> well the reason the reason I said are these people simpletons was because like 
they don't talk about any of the things that are happening at all. And that the young child is essentially a cipher for whatever feeling the movie needs her to be. Like in the prison scene, she's like tough and mean to her former stepfather figure. Earlier, like she's a teenager who's like railing against her mom. And later, like because he needs her to be like a happy child so that he can feel protective of her. Like she's just happy and running around. But they never talk about what's happening and not in the like the true tradition that I understand of the waspy way of like hiding your feelings so so that's why I was like why why are you idiots putting up with this like I just don't understand what's going on there oh we should also would this movie survive a cell phone no I, you can track that nonsense according to <laughs> like I don't think these, I don't think these idiots would have been like we gotta break our sim card or they're gonna find us well, the thing is like when the hell is this movie set I have no idea. I'm guessing early 80s based on her boots. Uh, I think it's set in the present. I think it's set in 2008. I think it's set in the present, yeah. It's very The cop cars looked modern. That's true. It's very weird. Also, I also want to talk about the Dennis Hopper farm thing because that was it, when it when they were in the farm. It just felt like all of a sudden it's a weird horror movie. Like yeah. it was like tense and a yeah. grim. He way. was miscast. Dennis Hopper's too sinister. Yes, like if it too it would have been so much better if it was someone like like Richard Jenkins, right? Where it's like he could play it. Like, maybe he's just a kind of hard-nosed farm owner. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he's an abusive piece of shit. I, I'm not saying that there's only one manner in which someone can be an abusive parent, but right. they just immediately leaned into him just like, like, there was, there was they no went from other zero side. to 60. Yes, yeah. immediately. Yeah. There was also, a, talking about random horror movie genre transitions, uh, the part in the motel where she sees all bathed in red light, her mother in a kitchen frantically looking for something. Oh my god! And then it suddenly immediately cuts to just the little girl looking at a toilet. Like, that. that's one of the... Mo- there's like, Much like The Yards again, this movie had sections in it where I just randomly laughed out loud. Oh yeah, I also had that because at one point she's like, I don't know, in a field or something, and she looks out and she sees Charlize Theron walking and then she disappears. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Was, yeah, and, it, and I, yeah. that reminded me of that movie about the British comedian where he's, like, walking on water because, like, her reflection oh, yeah. is in the pond. The that's from death. being there. Yeah. yeah. That's not from the movie about the no, British comedian. It is. It is only from that. <laughs> it's only from Keanu Reeves' face being in it in our Instagram. <laughs> But yeah, so then uh, other things I laughed out loud at were whenever Nick Stahl was late and the foreman would check his watch, like, center frame. (laughs) It just needed someone else to be like, oh, we got here at 7.30 and it's now 9.29. Yeah, the fact that they were all in uniform and already working didn't clue us in that he wasn't on time. Right. Right, exactly. So yeah, this movie is awful. Let's decide exactly how awful. (laughs) Oh. I feel like this movie gave a retroactive bump to Dark Places. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. I already liked that movie more than you guys, but I'm sort of like, see? I have it very middle. Yeah, me too. I just feel like when we talked about it, I was like... So I struggled whether I was going to put this below Children of the Corn. Me too! Really? I think it just pips it. I think it's just slightly better than Children of the Corn 3. Though I did have a better time watching Children of the Corn. I feel exactly the same. (laughs) So mine is one above Children of the Corn 3 and one below Huntsman Winter's War. Wait, Children of the Corn 3 what? (laughs) Children of the Corn 3. Urban Harvest. Oh, thank you, thank you for clarifying. I just, I couldn't remember which, there which are, in the, there the is series. A, there is a reboot series. 
So I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I got bored during this movie and immediately started looking at my rankings while it was still going on. <laughs> I like once I, we reached the point where I'm like, there's no way this is getting any better. Yeah. And so I was sort of thinking about putting it just above 15 minutes. And then I was like, wait a second, this is worse than the yards. And then, so yeah. it made it below the yards. And then I was like, a million ways to die in the West made me laugh out loud twice. And then I was like, The Legend of Bagger Vance, this is going down the list, right. has the knee slap moment. It does, it does. <laughs> and then so I came to, is this better or worse than Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest, which I still have as my second to last. Bob has several movies underneath it. I do, yeah. And oh, dang. I agree with Bob, this is just slightly better than <laughs> Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. So this is my third to last film. All right. Well, I am putting it slightly higher than you guys because I'll I'll go up. I'm like, it's definitely better than the Cider House Rules, which I still hate with a burning passion. Uh, <laughs> it's certainly better than The Last Face because it's not offensive. I, it's just dumb. I agree. It's better than The Last Face. So I was sort of like, mm, I don't know. The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. Is it better than The Life and Death of Peter Sellers? That's hard. And I'm like, she's barely in that, but at least the role that she is in that is sort of a fun one and she gets to do more things. And wear cute outfits. It's true. 60s makeup. So here's the thing. I'm going to put it above that, but below the yards. And the only two reasons that the yards beats it is Samba de Janeiro. (laughs) Samba de Janeiro. And the fact that she reminds me of Acid Burn from Hackers in that movie or whatever her name is. <laughs> so it goes below the yards, who would just eked out a victory because of Samba de Janeiro. Although, honestly, if you have to choose between watching these two movies, A, I'm so sorry. And B, <laughs> watch this movie other than the other one because it's it's shorter. That's true. Yeah. So, but anyway, it, I would still say watch the yards. This movie's really? bad. I, I would, I, I would watch this over the yards. I would this, okay, yeah, this at least has some moments of levity. The yards is just hardcore mumblecore from start to finish. <laughs> yeah, this movie at least has. I don't even like dogs. <laughs> Wait, the yards is not hardcore mumblecore. There is the moment of Samba de Janeiro. <laughs> that's true, but that's not the characters. Doing no. That. <laughs> Well, the good news is, well, I mean, it's it's both good and bad news. We are quickly approaching the end of our podcast, yeah. and we don't have any more super obscure movies to cover. Oh. This was the last one. Well, next week, we're going to be talking about SNL, the episode that we still can't find. We're going to do our best and we're try to get it out. Watch next the, the sketches that are on the internet. Yeah. So if you are following along, you can try as hard as we can yeah. to get this episode. And maybe one of you will find it and plant it in the movie tree and we can find it. <laughs> one more time, we would like to plug our friends on High on Film. They have a new podcast called Death at Sunset, and it's only in four parts. And if you want to listen before it's all out. Three of those four parts are now uh, on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and various places where podcasts are available. The first story is called Hard Times and Soft Drinks and so far it is excellent. Yeah, so check that out. Um, Thank you to Alex Reed for our amazing theme song. Still loving it. Every episode, just the best. Haven't grown tired of it. Not once. (laughs) Never will. Follow us on Instagram at Charlize Theronathan and follow us on Twitter at Theronathan. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys for joining us. And I guess... Thank, Thank you, Charlize! And now you've heard the Theronathon Every word of the Theronathon It just occurred at the Theronathon I hope your heart was stirred by the Theronathon And that your kitties purred at the Theronathon Your curiosity spurred by the Theronathon You're turning into a nerd for the Theronathon
of them being stoner buddies. <laughs> just like, hey, you want to do a dumb movie, but I've got like great Cheetos in my trailer. That's part of their retainer is they insist upon getting good Cheetos. <laughs> like, what if they're gourmet Cheetos? Like, they're not the brand that we buy, but they're what artisanal. cheddar Cheetos? <laughs> they're artisanal single cheese selection, non-pasteurized Cheetos. Blue cheese Cheetos. That's what? a cheese Cheetos. That's so disgusting. <laughs> Crunchy and stinky. <laughs>